the Dan and Tom podcast. This is podcast number two, Tom Fredericks. Hi, I'm Dan McLean. And we decided, or I had to make a big executive decision. We asked, should it be the Tom and Dan podcast or the Dan and Tom podcast? And when I went to look and see who already had Tom and Dan, it's taken by a couple of guys over in Britain, and they've had a successful podcast for years. And there was no Dan and Tom that I found anywhere. So I just said, okay, we're going to do Dan and Tom. But we're still looking... Or are we going to do something else? But I, I right. kind of like to just go with Dan and Tom. That suits me just fine. Yeah. Um, if we're going to do that, if we're going to focus on Dan and Tom, I guess we owe it to the prospective listener base to tell them a little bit about who Dan is and who Tom is, where we came from, and how we came to be sitting here uh, at a microphone trying to convince the good people of the community to take an interest in what we have to say. and. Uh, so I think today we just talk about where we came from, how we got here and who we are. And then, you know, moving forward, we'll get into the meat and potatoes of issues that are relevant to all of our lives. Right. Okay. You want to start? I think I should start because my story is a lot shorter than yours. (laughs) Are you saying I talk too much? No, 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 no. You've got some interesting history. Um, mine, uh, I'm was in broadcasting my entire career, went to college in Baltimore at Towson State University. I was a Yankee. I'm a damn Yankee. I moved down here and I stayed. And that's what y'all call us in the South. Damn Yankees. They don't, they don't appreciate damn Yankees too much, but I've lived in the South longer than I ever lived up North. So am I, this is a fully integrated radio show right here. We got, we got a Yankee. And I don't know. I'm, I'm. I guess I'm a Southerner. I hail from Kentucky, but we'll get into that. But yeah, you're from no, Baltimore. No, you're a redneck. You're a damn redneck. Yeah. Okay. Fair. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. All right. Um, yeah. I was born in Baltimore, raised between Baltimore and Washington in a town called Bowie, and then went back to Baltimore to go to college and graduated, and then got into broadcasting and had to bounce around at a bunch of different places. Lived in Virginia uh, before I moved here, and. Uh, Went to work for WDRM Radio in 1992 and stayed there until I retired like three, almost three years ago. And so it was a long career and I was exhausted and I was ready to come back and just kind of not do a dang thing. So my wife and I have spent a lot of time. We live in Decatur. I know you live. Well, you live in several places, Smith Lake, Priceville, Winston County. I mean, you got homes everywhere. (laughs) But I I have this topic for a later debate. I I have one home in Decatur and then one at the beach, and we go back and forth, and we're just kind of chilling and relaxing these days. Um, But it it gets kind of boring at times, too, so I decided, well, Tom had been talking about doing a podcast for the longest time, and we said, well, all right, let's see what happens here, you know? And I don't know if anything's going to happen or not, but anyway, the point of all this is, my short story is I'm retired now. And I was in broadcasting forever, almost, well, 40, more than 40 years. And I met Tom while I was working at the radio station. And uh, he started to do some, you know, advertising with us. And I had met him before the advertising because you used to do concerts over at uh, the store. And I, I knew that this crazy son of a bitch would be, oh, I'm sorry, can we say that it's a podcast, right? This I think we can. Okay. Well, I did. Um, would be great on the radio. And uh, lo and behold, he's, he's great. He was great on the radio, still doing his radio commercials. Actually, you're, you're getting more into the podcasting end, but you're still doing some radio commercials now. We do. I mean, you and I still do radio spots, and uh, we have fun with that. That's what right. led us to to uh you know we we found that it was always just one shot one take go to right. production we didn't try to edit and 
Right. So there, you know, we 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 saw that there may be an opportunity to advance that right. and reach people on a much broader spectrum than just what one radio right. tower can get to. Right. And now, and and that brings us back to you and Frederick's Outdoor and or Frederick's Outdoors. So you started basically selling Yanmar tractors. Uh, used I just ones. interject. You you absolutely do have a face for radio. Thank you. Um, I, you didn't ha- you didn't have to throw that out there, but <laughs> anybody who's ever listened to me has probably seen me, and they know what my face looks like, so they can make that judgment on their own. You don't have to. It's our podcast, little thingy. You don't, uh, our, our thumbnail. You don't have to influence them in any way whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, but I like your picture too because you look kind of like Big Daddy Don Garlitz. Do you remember him or Wolfman Jack? You kind of well, you know that was an older picture where the old goatee was was way down there, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. so I, I kind of look like a like a renegade biker type, I guess. Yeah, I guess, and that's that's a that's a good look. I like that look. So anyway, <laughs> getting back to you, beginning out of your garage, your business. First of all, you were a, a, a engineer, rocket scientist, okay. basically, weren't you over at NASA? Yeah, I um, uh, graduated graduated Hardin County, Kentucky, which is right up by 65, back in 19 and 87. Went to University of Kentucky, got an engineering degree, mechanical engineering degree. Uh, Gulf War was in its peak at that time when I graduated, so there weren't a lot of jobs to be had. So I ended up, I had co-opted in Huntsville, Alabama at NASA, and I was looking for job opportunities. Nothing presented. I ended up going to work for NASA straight out of college and did that for several years, and uh, I mean, quite frankly, I, I, I was looking for an, another challenge, and a friend of mine, co-worker, was intrigued by the presence of what at the time were dubbed gray market tractors from Japan, and way back in, you know, 1996, 97, there was a demand in the United States for used compact tractors there was a, a significant amount of folks who were buying mini farms and moving out out of the towns and and they they were needing tools and equipment to maintain that acreage and there was no significant supply so supply and demand being what it is uh we started dabbling in that we found some other importers that were bringing these uh, at the time it was Kubota uh and and Yanmar were some of the the two dominant brands in the Japanese market. Kubota had a parts and had a, had a dealership network established in the United States, which ultimately led to the demise of those gray market machines. Um, uh, uh, the first time ever, uh, an injunction was issued against used durable goods coming into the United States, so you couldn't bring Kubotas in anymore. And uh, everybody turned to the Yanmar product, and these things were coming in by the container loads, shipping containers of tractors coming to the United States. Um, uh, but long story short, by the time it was all said and done, well over a hundred thousand of these uh, Yanmar tractors had entered the U.S. market. Um, you were still working out of your garage, and I was working out of my garage. I I built a fifty by hundred shop, six acres in Hartzell, and I built a fifty by one hundred shop in my front yard before I really had a vision of what I wanted to do with it. I just knew that I was going to do something, and as time went on, I decided, and I got more involved. I I, I took a serious leap of faith and quit a GS-13 engineering position, extremely stable government job. I don't know how many folks understand just how stable mm-hmm. government employment can be. But yeah, when you I, get I a job going... like that, you generally don't quit it, do you? No, nah, yeah. nah, it, it's, it's, it's not at the highest paid on the spectrum against uh, the, 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 the you know, private, 
private enterprise. However, it's incredibly, uh, incredibly stable. Mm -hmm. Well, I went the other direction. I, I chose to embrace one of the most unstable uh, business models you could possibly imagine because I had no corporate backing. This was and, all grassroots. And that's where I get the phrase crazy son of a bitch from. Well, that's well, one, of the, that, one of the places I get it from. That's one of the facets. Yeah, I'll <laughs> give you that. And so um, it grew. And and uh, we had our run-ins with, with uh, corporate. You know, Yanmar was behind it initially because they had taken these same models of tractors that they were building in Japan. And they'd introduced them into the United States market in the mid-'70s through their own name. Um, shortly thereafter – they realized or an agreement was struck with John Deere and they began uh, producing the 50 series John Deere, which were extremely popular machines. And basically, Yanmar said, OK, enough. We're, we're getting out of the U.S. market. We're just going to supply tractors with green paint on them and John Deere stickers and let John Deere do the marketing. And that went on for decades. Mm -hmm. So along comes this gray market and we get to the point where we say, hey, look, Yanmar brought these similar model tractors. They changed the model numbers, made a few changes along the way to adapt to the U.S. market with like uh, built-in overruns or two-stage clutches, you know, for the power takeoffs. Small things that, that adapted them, but by and large, they had parts in the United States because they had left their, their dealers in place to supply parts to the tractors they had previously sold. They started letting the gray market guys get a hold of those parts, and we grew that business exponentially. Unfortunately, in the state of Alabama, there was a case uh, out of Madison County called the Smith case. A gentleman lost his life in a rollover. It was a freak accident, uh, pinched his neck, and, and he suffocated. And they decided Yanmar was culpable because Yanmar conceded that they knew that the parts they were selling were being used on those machines. And that changed the entire dynamic. All of a sudden, we went from being essentially partners in a parts trade to being enemies. And uh, that fight went on for a decade. Hmm. Ultimately, ultimately, and there was a lot of nuances to it, we developed safety devices, rollover protective structures, the things that were integral to preventing the manufacturer from from taking litigation, unfavorable litigation, without having any profit motive tied to it. So that was the rub. Is we were selling their stuff, making money on it. They weren't making any money, yet they were having to defend themselves in court. They right. didn't like that, rightfully right. so. It's a bad call from the Alabama Supreme Court, in my opinion. But all that's water under the bridge. Some other states have taken alternate opinions on the matter, and and so now that uh, the corporate entity is no longer scrutinized, and everybody's pretty much putting safety devices on the machines that prevent the the rollover being the defining issue. So that's the thing that kept dragging them into the various court cases. Uh, once once everybody realized, hey, you got to do this. This is this is important safety stuff. It does save lives and it keeps people out of court. All that's water under the bridge. Yanmar comes back around a couple years ago and says, hey, we're going to go ahead and say, we appreciate what you did. You helped build our name and uh, you want to sell our stuff? And we was like, yeah. It's the best thing on the market. We've been saying that for 20, 30 years that Yanmar builds the best machinery on the market. And I hold to this day that if you're looking for a compact tractor, there's nothing better on the market than a, than a Yanmar product. Now, um, Sold at Frederick's we, Outdoors, Bethel Road. Sold at Frederick's Outdoors, yeah. Right. Now, we're, we are a Mahindra dealer. We've been a Mahindra dealer for years and years and still stand by Mahindra as our principal high-volume uh, value-oriented product. Um, but if you want the Cadillac, then, you know, we, we'll, we'll be happy to tell you that the Yanmar has all the bells and whistles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's how I got started. 
in a little 50 by 100 metal building in my front yard, having quit NASA, bought a one-ton truck and a, and, a, and a 30-foot gooseneck trailer, and I started shipping gray market Yanmar tractors that were refurbished by Tom Fredericks at Fredericks Outdoor all over the United States of America. And I went from a one-man band with a couple of high school kids working evenings and weekends to what we have now, which is a multi-corporate structure with about 50 employees, our own trucking fleet, Mm -hmm. a retail store on the side of I-65. And that is the face that people have come to know. For years, when we were doing the the, the gray market stuff, we were wholesale. We we were on a little two-lane road off of off the beaten path in Hartzell, and quite frankly, you had to know we were there. We were we were mm-hmm. unseen and unheard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, boom, we we took a 180 and said, and basically, you know, in the mid 2000s, 2004, five, and six, those were our banner years. We were pushing a thousand tractors a year through the store, the the, the service center, and then uh, you know Katrina hit, and that sold a bunch of product down in Louisiana and Mississippi. And then the economy went sour, and it went flat, and I said, crap, we're going to have to come up with something new. So I bought some acreage on I-65 in Priceville. It's about three miles from the original location, which we still use as a service center, but um, for, for maximum visibility. We went full retail. I started lining up product lines, and I had a poker buddy that wanted to uh, start a boat business. I had not even thought about that, and I and, you know, went to the Google and said, hey, Google, how many boat tractor dealerships exist in the United States. And it turns out there was about three. And I thought, hmm, maybe this doesn't work. But I did it anyway. <laughs> and, <laughs> By the way, not to, ch- not to change subject, backing up, I didn't know you played poker. But go ahead. I like that. I thought you were a blackjack <laughs> kind of a guy. Well, anyway, um, so I built this retail store, and I added a line of boats, and I added a Frederick's Marine Division. And we said, let's see how it goes. And We've now been selling premium quality boats uh, for about 15 years, mm-hmm. and uh, it's going strong. We, like I said, we sell a variety of, uh, of of outdoor power, whether it be tractors or zero turn mowers or side by sides with Can Am dealer and Bad Boy mower dealer. And we've added a lot of products, and it's 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 done well. It continues to and, do well. And the thing is, I don't know how many people know this, but you're still a hands-on guy. You show up to work almost every day, and you sit in the office, yeah. and uh, you've got guys yeah. that know what they're doing. You don't have to babysit them all the time, but, I mean, you're there. Yeah, I just go through and thump them with a stick every once in a while. Everything's fine. Right, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, But he's so not, and, and he's not just this, evolution. like... You're not just like this rich op- entrepreneur that uh, sits back and plays at Smith Lake all the time. You're actually doing stuff. Well, you know, there's a, there's a misconception that I came from money, and that's just not the case. And I'm not throwing off on my folks. They did us right by, you know, we, we – uh, Dad had an old rundown house in Hardin County, Kentucky. He moved us. We were in California growing up for a few years, and he realized that if he was to leave us there through high school, we would be something vastly different than what you see today. <laughs> and so uh, our, our really uh, our really significant upbringing was in rural Kentucky, and that, that probably did more to shape who mm-hmm. we are, me right. and my two brothers, than than anything else and i have to say hats off to the old man for having the wisdom to do that because i would hate to you know i'd probably be like spicoli if if, if i grew up in, you know, on the west coast <laughs> that would be just weird yeah. uh, <laughs> so so anyway 
uh, University of Kentucky, uh, started a family way earlier than you're supposed to, turned out all right. They're all grown. Two of them are, are integral to the business, and, uh, and uh, uh, also that gave me motivation to complete my college degree in three and a half years. I was one of the youngest graduates of the University of Kentucky in engineering, second in my class, uh, hair on fire, and, uh, and I've carried that energy with me throughout life and continue to push the envelope. And now, uh, on, a, on an alternate note, about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, um, a buddy from a church in Hartsel I was attending uh, got me involved in Morgan County Republican politics. And I've been dabbling in that ever since. In fact, I continue to expand. I'm a member of the Alabama State Party. I've run for uh, the legislature twice, once in Priceville in the fourth house district. And, uh, and then, like you said, I, I took up residence at my lake house in Arley, which I purchased a house down there in 2000. Uh, then I purchased the one beside it, you know, several years later. So I have two homes there on, on Smith Lake and, uh, um, moved my residency down there permanent, uh, but a couple years ago, ran for the 14th district. Almost won that one against an incumbent because he voted for the gas tax in Winston County, which was a big, big no-no. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, they almost never succeed against an incumbent. But I got within 761 votes. So I'm fairly proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the politics side continues this day. We're we're working on an initiative to close primaries in Alabama. I'm I'm working with Mo Brooks on that, and and. Uh, that's something we will talk about in our next podcast, I expect. And yeah. if you have a political inclination, it will be of interest to you. It's significant, the efforts uh, that we're putting forward to change the landscape of how conservatives get their voice out in the state of Alabama, yeah. a conservative state where where that should be implicit yet for some reason. And we'll go into detail as what that reason is mm-hmm. in that podcast. It hasn't happened. Do you, uh, does Mo know that you could have been Spicoli and you definitely wouldn't have been a member of the Republican Party? Uh, that wouldn't surprise him. Nothing about me. <laughs> he should thank your dad. <laughs> <laughs> or, or curse him, depending yeah, on the situation. Yeah, exactly. I know. It depends on the whole situation there. Yeah, I mean, I was one of the guys that tried to convince him he should run for Senate and, and, uh, yeah, way to go. You see how that turned out when the, the non-conservative <laughs> element of the Republican mm-hmm. faction in Alabama turned their guns on him. Yeah. It, they, they hit him pretty hard. And this is where Tom and I go different directions. I don't understand why anybody would get into politics, even though we need good people in politics. It's just so frustrating to see what happens with politics locally, statewide, It's kind of like going to the gym, Dan. Yeah. Some people do that. I still haven't figured out why, but it's the same thing. They feel like the juice is worth the squeeze. It may not be something they really want to do, but it m- improves their life. It improves their 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 well-being. It improves their situation. And and that's my take on politics is it's a double-edged sword. There's a bunch of lying, scheming folks involved in politics. And you always got to question what the true motives are. But at the end of the day, we want a better state and a better country for our kids and grandkids. And if good people don't step up and fight that fight, we're going to lose it. Right. I so, agree. I, I agree with that it? part. Not, not yeah. at all. Does it yeah. cost me money? Heck yeah. I'm 200 grand in two races of my own money to, to, uh, to try to, to influence the outcome of our state and our nation. But I think it's money well spent, win or yeah. lose. Yeah. All right. So, you know, it's, it's like uh, it's preventive medicine. It's not fun to take. 
but at the end of the day, it's it's somebody's got to do it. It's like and, it's like preparation age. I mean, you know, man, it's not pleasant. Stuff, man. <laughs> it's not pleasant, but you got to do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I hate that for you. Yeah, well, <laughs> or for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this wasn't a confession. No, no. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, on that note, I think we're going to wrap up today's podcast, unless you have anything else you need to add, because we can add as we continue with and, and explore our lives over these next few episodes of the podcast, too. Well, you know, a lot of people, the more we, the more we try to exert ourselves as personalities to people who don't know us, the more misperceptions are going to emerge about who we are and where we come from. And it, right. I thought, you know what, let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. <laughs> right. Maybe it's a little boring, but the backstory <laughs> may be relevant to where we go from here. When we start pushing buttons and stirring the pot, people are going to say, who are these guys? All right. And, and I, uh, I, I do have a question for you before we wrap this up. You used to own a helicopter, right? I sure did. I bought a, uh, a, a SA341G Gazelle built by Eurocopters, French-made, uh, the Ferrari of the skies in the back in the seventies, it, it emerged about the same time the bell jet Ranger was coming on the market and, uh, Rusty Banks, uh, he's passed on now. He's from Winston County, uh, had one and I bought it from him. I, I had, I had a hankering from my earliest years in life. I wanted to fly helicopters and, uh, have a little bit of red, green color blindness. So the military wasn't an option back in the day because they had a stipulation on that. So I couldn't be a couldn't get my military pilot uh, situation going. So um, about 2000, I, I decided I was in a position I could scratch that itch, and I bought a little Hughes 269. Um, before I even had a pilot's license, I had a friend who was an instructor, and I said, hey, or was trying to become an instructor. I said, hey, you can get your time in my aircraft. I'll ride with you, and and uh, you'll become an instructor, and then you'll sign me off, and I'll and I'll be a pilot. And that's what we did. And then uh, along those same times, I bought this Gazelle, and man, I flew the rotors off of that thing for ten years. It was a blast. It was, it was back and forth to the lake in sixteen minutes. You just right. didn't have any more fun than that. Right. Um, but it was an expensive habit, and the machine got aged to the point I couldn't properly maintain it. So I got rid of it, and and frankly, as business continued to grow, time became more of a luxury. I didn't have it as much, and. Uh, the helicopter was starting to sit more and cost more, so it, it it was time to go. I'd love to have another one. I, I uh, there's no reason I couldn't get back in one and fly. But again, the time element may preclude that. But yeah, I got a pretty interesting uh, aviation history as well. <laughs> Ask me about the time we flew peaches down at uh, the Durban peach farms down in Clanton. You know, um, a thing happens every now and again called an inversion layer where the ground will get below freezing, but the air above it will be above freezing. And uh, when peach buds freeze, it causes scar tissue on the peaches. It ruins the peach crop. A lot of money gets lost. So these guys organized about four helicopters at last minute to go down there for two nights and fly about 20 feet off the ground over the peach trees, cycle the air, and it prevented hundreds of thousands of dollars of peaches from being lost and that was the coolest thing ever i can't forget we had uh i got close to one of they had some tires burning in, or some fires burning around the edge of the uh of the tree grove and i got close to one of them and pushed the fire off into a pine thicket 
Well, these boys were all members of the volunteer fire department. This is about three in the morning. They said, don't stop flying. We got this. They went and got the trucks, put the fire out. We just kept keeping the peaches warm. So uh, it was some tricky flying. You know, it was nighttime. It was cold. And and uh, we were 20 feet over peach trees. So you couldn't couldn't really come up with anything really more dangerous. But, dang, that was cool. I bet it was, it was cool. cool. It's, that's, it's, that's, that's more and of the history. It was successful. Yeah. Uh, there was three or four helicopters flying multiple peach uh, peach groves, and we saved hundreds of thousands of dollars of peaches. So, I love peaches. Uh, yeah. well, there's been some interesting experiences uh, in life, mm-hmm. and I hope there's going to be a lot more. And maybe yeah. we can uh, we can we can bring some stuff to light. Just us talking. Right. We'll. Uh, get other people interested in making some significant impacts in their community. Exactly. And folks can comment about anything that we've talked about or any questions you have uh, so that we can talk about them in, in future podcasts. And you can do that on our Facebook pages or just email us, danmick102, danmc102 at gmail.com. And you're? Tom at fredericksoutdoor.com, F-R-E-D-R-I-C-K-S, Outdoor. Com. All right. And we'll check you next week. Yeah. And uh, I'll probably bring uh, Mo Brooks in maybe to uh, give some clarity as to how we as uh, the state Republican Party can go about closing our primaries. That's just a teaser uh-huh. and make Alabama uh-huh. truly a conservatively driven and operated state. Very good. All right. Dan and Tom, folks. thanks for listening. Bye-bye.